Hey, take your Bibles now and open up to 2 Peter chapter 2. Did you guys see that this morning? Did you guys see the sun? Was that crazy? It wasn't the, the marine layer or the satanic fog, as my family calls it. <laughs> I don't know why you guys call it marine layer. It sounds way too sophisticated. And the sun was out this morning, man. It was awesome. And I, was, I just woke up. I was like, whoa, crazy. It got up at 6 o'clock, and it's already bright out. I couldn't believe it. it made me happy. Such a good day. So let's just pray and thank God. And there are people that get the sun every day. I wonder what that's like, but let's pray for them too. Lord, uh, we do thank you in Jesus' name for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to your word, and that as we study your word, Lord, you bring the sun to our path. It's a light. It's a lamp. Lord, you bring illumination, and you bring vision. Lord, you also bring warmth, and you bring healing, and you bring light. Lord, our desire is to come under your word today and to be changed to be refined, to be purified, to be encouraged, to be exhorted. And so I pray in Jesus' name that that would be our response. I pray for those watching online at home as well, Lord, that they would be pressing into your word. And Lord, I pray that your word would feed us and transform us. I've heard it said before that the same sun that softens the ice hardens the clay. It's not a different sun, it's not a different source, but it is a different response. And so I pray in Jesus' name that we would respond, Lord, to your word properly, that we'd soften, that we'd change, we'd become more like you, that we wouldn't seek to edit your word, but we would let your word edit us. We wouldn't seek to change your word, but we would seek to let your word change us. And so Jesus, we thank you, we trust you. And we ask, Lord, for that trust and that faith to grow. Bless us, we ask now. And I pray special blessings on Rory. I think the service starts at 10 o'clock. I'm not, not positive, but would you bless that church and let there just be healing and, and grace. Let the kingdom of God reign there. And Lord, order Rory's speech in his heart and let the word not return void, but go out in power. We also pray for all the pastors and leaders and spouses that are traveling to Corvallis this, this week, Lord, that it be powerful and anointed and rich. Just set our minds on you. We thank you so much for what you've done, what you're doing. We ask you to do even more because we trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2 is Peter in his persona and personality coming through strong. I don't know if you remember Peter in the book of Acts, but right around chapter 8, Peter goes to Samaria. And he finds some people that are divergent in their beliefs, some people that have kind of a mixed view, some Samaritan views and some Jewish views. And this one particular guy named Simon the Sorcerer, kind of not the best name you want on your Facebook profile. Simon the Sorcerer asks a few things about the gifting of the Holy Spirit. He's like, hey, can I get the gift of laying hands on people? That's pretty cool. You lay hands on them, they start prophesying, speaking in tongues. Like, that's awesome. How much does that cost? And Peter looks at him and says, did you just ask how much that costs? And he says, your money, this is what Peter says, your money perish with you because your heart is deceitful and wicked. And Peter kind of just lays into this guy. And I see Peter, a defender of the truth. I see Peter as a large man. He was actually, historically, we know a big fisherman, a, a large guy. And Jesus had asked him, recruited him, anointed him, ordained him to be the leader of the church. He'd given to him the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
And he said, on this simple proclamation, Peter, that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, on that I'm gonna build my church. It's really that simple, as long as you know who Jesus is. As long as Jesus is God to you, as long as Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, as long as Jesus is supreme. That guy's sweatshirt right there says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. As long as you know, mine says, Jesus saves. Is that what it says? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you know that, okay, you're on the right path. And as you know, when you're on the right path, you might not be at the destination you want to be at, but at least you're on the right path and it's going to take you where you need to be as long as you stay on that path. And yet throughout life and throughout our journey and throughout the world, there are divergent paths, forks in the road and temptations. And so the Bible says of itself that it is indeed a lamp and a light for our path. Matter of fact, we're gonna learn about, anybody excited about learning the Bible? Like, have you made this your excitement, your pad? Learning the Bible. Anybody daunted about learning the Bible? Like, oh my gosh, 66 books, 44 authors written over 1,500 years. It's a lot of pages, Old Testament, New Testament. It's pretty big. Listen, I just wanna encourage you. If you press into the things of God, God will press the things of God into you, okay? He just will. He will. Sometimes people look at successful folks and fit folks and smart folks and say, how'd you get so fit? And it's like, I just woke up this way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? After a lot of work, you know. And how'd you get to know the Bible? Well, it's a lifestyle of reading it, reading it and studying it, reading it and studying it, reading it and studying it, Pu- applying yourself to it and presenting yourself to God's word. I want to encourage you. That's what we do here at South Beach Church. We're studying God's word because this is where faith comes. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In order that we don't get picked off, in order that we know what God is doing in our lives and what's around and how we can be like Peter. Second Timothy 3.16, I was at a Bible uh, course uh, on hermeneutics and how to study the scriptures, and we were forced to, and then we're encouraged to memorize this verse. So check this verse out. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is inspired by God. All scripture, how many of you guys need inspiration today? 13 of you. Wow, the others are just self-help gurus right on. Well, you guys will learn from you in the second service. We all need inspiration. How many of you guys need some doctrine? Doctrine means teaching. You need to know what the truth. Yesterday, I sat with this couple. It was so fun. I'm doing their wedding soon, and I was getting to know them. And, and as I was talking, I kept referencing Bible stories because I'm a Bible guy. That's what I do. And, and I began to ask them about their faith and their journey. And, and, and one of them was raised in the faith, and one was not. And I began to say, well, do, do you know any of these stories I'm referencing? And with humility, he said, no, never heard of any of them. And I began to talk about communion. And I said, well, you guys want to take communion at your, at your wedding? He said, yeah. And, and, he, and he said, I've never taken communion in my life. I said, well, do you know what communion is? And he said, no, explain it to me. I said, oh my gosh, this is gonna be so fun. And so I, began to ex- so I began to explain it to him and I went all the way back thousands of years ago to Pharaoh and to Egypt and to the children of Israel and to the Passover lamb. And I said, Pharaoh and the 10 plagues, you've heard of the 10 plagues, haven't you? He said, no, never heard of the 10 plagues. And I was like, we're gonna be here for a while, guys, you know, and brought out the flannel graph and went over the, the you know, and he's, he's at home watching right now and and it was just so cool because he, he was interested, leaning into the things of God for doctrine. And it was just so, it was so cool. And it wasn't a, a con, it wasn't a, it was, it was exciting to be with a person who said, yeah, I'd love to learn about Pharaoh. And, and I'd love to, to hear about communion. Yeah, communion. And he looked at his fiance and, and I offered him, I said, I'll, I'll bring the communion elements to your wedding. And, and the very first thing you'll do at your, at your wedding, rings are on, vows are exchanged, you're married. And before you kiss, you take communion to honor your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he looked at his fiance and said, I'd love to do that. 
Let's do that. And it comes from understanding. It comes from doctrine. And every scripture, all scripture is inspired and is profitable for doctrine, but not just inspiration and doctrine, but also for reproof. Reproof is literally, as you read the scriptures, you find more and more proof. You find it more and more proven. You find more and more confidence. Some people read the stories, like, I don't know, bro. Just keep reading. And as you keep reading, you're like, oh, wow, now I know, bro. Reproof. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And not just reproof, but for correction. So exciting. So exciting. Have you guys ever been corrected by the Bible? Where you just read like, I don't know. It says something really hard here. I'll turn it upside down here, you know. <laughs> oh, there we go. It's like, no, no, no. If the Bible is offending you, that means you're reading it right, okay? If it's not offending you, not calling you out, you're not reading it right. You're in the wrong church, man. You need this book to mess with you. It's not here just to give you a pat on the back and tell you're doing good. It's here to show you the right way. It's correction. And when you know that about and instruction, that the man of God, the woman of God, that the person of God, the child of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And in chapter two of Peter, Peter lays into some heretics and some heretical teaching. Peter goes toe-to-toe with all of the fallacies in the world today. See, we live in a culture right now that wants to believe everything's okay, that everything's good, it's all inclusive, we're all going to heaven, no one's going to hell, everyone's good, you can be red, you can be blue, you can do this, you can do that, it's all good. And yet the Bible comes along and says, no, no, there's a way, there's a truth, and there's a life. And there's one way into heaven, it's through Jesus Christ. And all other ways, everyone else who tries to get into heaven in any other way, Jesus called them thieves and liars, John chapter 10, he said, if you don't go through the door that I am, you, don't, you try and get in the other way, it's illegitimate. Now, those are fighting words. I mentioned that last week that in chapter 2 of Peter, which is the very middle of 2 Peter, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, it's the very the heart of the book. This is where Peter gets his nonprofit status taken away from him, okay, when he writes this chapter. This is when he goes on record and he calls out people, 22 verses of name-calling, stereotyping, grouping, and labeling, 14 different names he uses to call people that believe differently than the Bible teaches. 14 different names. He calls them beasts. He calls them dogs. He calls them hogs. He calls them liars. He calls them all kinds of things where if you go on Facebook, eh, you're getting Facebook jail time. (laughs) You're going to get a letter from somebody. Like, you can't be calling people that. And you might say, well... Peter, you know, they're going to get in trouble. They killed him. Interesting. Interesting. And Peter knew that his time was short. He's taken his job seriously. See, Jesus had told Peter, hey, Peter, when you're restored, I want you to strengthen the brethren. Write some letters. In chapter 3, verse 1, we might be there next week. We'll see how it goes today. In chapter three, verse one, he says, I wrote to you one letter, and this is my second letter, both of which are to stir you up and to remind you, your pure minds. Jesus asked me to strengthen you. Jesus asked Peter to feed the sheep, man, make sure they're fed the word of God, but he also said, Peter, make sure and tend the sheep. A shepherd is not just there to feed the sheep, but a shepherd is there to put his staff in the ground and to look on the horizon and see where the wolves are, see where the traps are, see where the tricks are. See where the problems are, and then to defend the sheep. This is, by the way, not just Peter's job, not just shepherd's job. This is mom's jobs. This is dad's jobs. This is aunts and uncles' jobs, grandma's, grandpa's. This is our job. This is, hey, this is brother's, sister's jobs. This is sons' and daughters' jobs. 
This is the job of Christians who know the word of God to say, you know what? I think I smell a heretic. I think I smell a heresy. I think I smell something that's divergent, something that's not right here because it doesn't coincide and line up with God's word. And let me just go on a small rant here before I go on a lot of small rants. Recently, a few friends of mine on Facebook, I've noticed their, their, their journey. And what I've noticed is a couple of them are framing their path and their way forward based on two variables. And those two variables are what other Christians are doing in the disappointing nature and the way they feel in their experiences personally. And both of which get buzzed. Let me say that differently. I've got friends on Facebook right now that are deciding how to move forward in their Christianity based on what other Christians have done. Have you ever seen a Christian blow it? Okay, just it's okay to be honest. Yeah, you've probably been on my Facebook before you've seen me. We've seen Christians make mistakes. Have you ever also thought some crazy thoughts that are outside of what this book tells you and me is true? And if you decide to make your path moving forward based on what other Christians are doing, eh, or what you're feeling, eh, you're gonna find yourself picked off and divergent. Instead, you and I must find our path through what this book says. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. This is gonna help you because, let's just get real. If you haven't already been disappointed by a Christian, you're going to be. And maybe you're a young believer here. You're like, oh my gosh, Pastor Luke or South Beach Church or, or the CR guys or this group. or Man, this is so awesome. And then all of a sudden, nosedive, somebody disappoints you. Somebody lets you down. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe you're a young person. You look up to your mom and dad and they go through a messy divorce. You're like, what? I thought they were believers. I thought they were Christians. And all of a sudden, you take based on their reaction, their response, their decision, and you throw your faith away. Your faith was put in the wrong thing. Or maybe... Maybe it's not somebody else who lets you down. Maybe it's yourself who becomes wanton and weird in your thoughts and actions. And you begin to think other things. Like, well, I just wonder if it's this, and I, I can't really comprehend that, and I this, and I that. Who are you? Remember when you were born? Do you remember that day? You were naked. <laughs> Crying and making a mess of yourself. You know? Three decades later, you're like, I'm in charge. I know what's going on. It's like, you don't know anything. It's so crazy. And I just encourage you, if you're going to form your ways and pick your path, okay, make sure and follow the light. Follow the Lord. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. You will have people that will let you down. It's, it's historical. It's factual. And your mind will also wander. But here's the deal. Other believers will disappoint you and your heart will deceive you. And what you need more than anything is what Peter says is the sure word of God. So the way we're gonna win this battle is by bringing our Bibles to the fight, becoming Bible guys and Bible gals. It's so fun on Sundays to preach to you guys and learn with you, but I need to exhort you and encourage you. If you're not gonna get picked off okay, in your life, you need to be a student and a consumer of the word on your own. Learning, presenting yourself to God, reading through the scripture, whether it's our five by five through the New Testament program or some other way, continue to feed on his faithfulness. Last week, we talked about two ways to make sure we don't get picked off by divergent ideas is to know the issues, open-handed, closed-handed, know what the issues are, and to feed on his word. And those two things will help you as a sheep to move forward. And here's the deal. Look at verse one. I can't believe we're in verse one again. We're just gonna, we're gonna jump here. Don't, don't make fun of me. Just it says, but there were, this is verse two. He says, but there were also 
false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Peter here says factually there was false prophets and teachers amongst them. There's gonna be false prophets and teachers among you, and we can guarantee there's gonna be false prophets and teachers among us here. It's just the way it is. This should at least alarm you a little bit to know that not everyone's telling the truth. Not everyone's your friend. Not everyone's gonna take you where you should really wanna go. So at that point, you gotta bring your Bible to the battle. Even myself, obviously. Don't just take everything Pastor Luke says. Paul noted that the church at Berea was more noble, Acts chapter 17, because when he preached to them, Acts chapter 16, when he preached to them the things of the gospel, like, you know what? That kind of makes sense, but we're going to go ahead and read the scriptures and see if it checks out. We'll be back in a little bit. We'll get back to you. And they looked into the things that Paul was preaching, and they realized and found out that they were true. So too, you and I need to be those who don't just listen to all the stuff around us, because there will be heretics. There will be heresies. There will be problems around us. Now, here's the definition of heresy, if you want to write this down or commit it to memory. Heresy is any belief, idea, or practice that leads you away from God and his mission and his people. I'm going to say that. You don't have to memorize that, but heresy is any idea, belief, or idea that leads you away from God and away from his mission and away from his people. The Greek word, the original word in the Latin literally means to give you a choice, an option outside of what God has provided. It reminds me of Genesis chapter 3. God had provided everything for Adam and Eve. Everything they needed, everything they had, and he actually put within them a choice, his own choice, said, here's the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat that. And Satan comes in with the very first heresy and starts asking, are you sure that's what God said? I don't, I, I, what, do you, what do you mean? I, I don't know. That's a good question. Someone will come to you. When you go to university, when you go to college, when you go to public school, when you go to your friend's house, are you sure the Bible says that? I thought I, I thought I did. And then Satan comes in with the second heresies. What God actually said was this. If you eat this tree, it's going to make you aware of all things. You'll be like God. It's going to upgrade you. It's going to boost you forward. And that first heresy is the same heresy. It's a different path, different system than God has intended for us. Any belief, idea, or practice that leads us away from God's mission and his people. Now, here's the thing you need to realize. This is so good. God has a way, he has a plan, he has a truth. And did you know that God's way, plan, and truth is for you, not against you? Genesis chapter three, God created everything. This is so good, this is so good, this is so good. Here's everything you need. You guys are here without sin, you're in perfection. You're both naked, it is legit. That's funnier than you guys made it sound. <laughs> it's legit, there's no sin, this is awesome! And you guys gotta understand when God says something, he, when he says this is bad, he really means it's bad, it's gonna hurt you. When he says this is good, he really means this is good, it's gonna bless you. And God really loves you, he's a good father. And yet in our humanity and our sinfulness, we tend to second guess the Lord. And maybe you as a really sneaky sinner and rebel, you wouldn't categorize the Lord as being not good, but in your actions and in your deviant choices from time to time, you're saying, well, I don't know if this is really that bad. God said it's bad, but I'm just going to try a little bit. God said not to do this, but I'm going to try. And the reality is, when you know that God loves you, that he cares for you, he wants you to be so blessed and so full. Jesus actually compared human fathers to the father, and he said, you guys are actually evil compared to God. And you, as a good dad, even though you're evil compared to God, as a good dad, if your kid asked for bread, would you give him a stone? 
If he asked for water, would you give him a scorpion? If he asked, you would give your kids, and, and all of us dads who are trying our hardest, would you not say, yeah, man, I just love my kids. If I could do anything, I'd do anything for my kids. God up in heaven, so much more good than us, loves us. And when he says, hey, this is the right way, and there is a wrong way, you in your heart of hearts and in your rebellious nature, especially in our counter-biblical culture, need to be able to say, God loves me. He knows what's best. When the world is going to say something heretical and completely different. God wants to bless you and care for you. Satan's plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. And anytime Satan's cooking up something for you or trying to get you to believe something or do something, know that he can't be trusted. He only ever wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Last week, I introduced two ideas of heresies. I want you guys to be knowledgeable in this. There are spiritual heretics, we'll call them biblical or church heretics and spiritual leaders. Then there are secular or liberal heresies. These are not necessarily in church organizations, but they're beliefs, ideas, or, or actions and practices that lead you away from God, his mission, and his people. So this happens in the church, this happens in spirituality. We see heretics, these things come along the scene every once in a while. And, and I just, I remember one time I was working at the Good Bean Ashland. Young guys, probably 22 years old, and I just got hired. And the guy that was training me to make bagels, his name was Patrick. And our shift started at 3.30 in the morning. I'll never forget, it was 3.30 in the morning. I just met this guy, I was like, hey, what up, dude? What are we doing here? And he's teaching me how to make bagels. And the first thing he asked me, he's like, hey, you smoke weed? And I was like, that's an interesting question. And so for the next two and a half hours, I gave him my testimony about how, no, I don't smoke weed. And I used to sell weed. And then I went to jail for fake IDs and all this other stuff. I gave him a whole testimony in two and a half hours. And I said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I'm now a Christian. I'm serving. I'm going to Honduras on mission trips and building water systems for these people that are poor in the village of Las Aguitas. And I gave him a whole testimony. He's like, oh, oh, oh. And here's his response. It was so cool. He says, wow, two and a half hours later. Wow, that is awesome. You know why? Because I hate Christians. And I was like, wow, this is cool, you know. And he said, but this, but he was enjoying, he's like, but, but I like you. This is really, I'm having fun. And man, and it's crazy. You give your life to Jesus Christ. He says, Here's, I have two. I have two. But his name, I gave my life to Jesus. His exact words. I gave my life to Jesus Christ too, but his name is Adidas Samara. And I'm practicing right now to be a devotee of his. And me and my wife, Caitlin, we're moving there to become one of his avatars. And I'm listening to this going, whoa, the wheels just got off the track, bro. Like, <laughs> no, different Jesus. Put a picture up there. This is Adidas Samara. This guy rules, rolls around and does stuff. I don't know if we'll get a picture up there or not. There he is. That's Adidas Samara. That's a, that's a current picture of him. And this guy, Patrick, he was giving his life over to him as a devotee, becoming an avatar. He started telling me all about it. He was so excited about it. I looked this guy up a little bit later. His first name before Adidas Samurai was Dafri John. Go show the other picture. This is back about 20 years earlier. Dafri John. Now, his birth name is Franklin Jones, and he was born in Queens, New York. So, and I did all this research on this guy, and this guy would have his post up. You can take that down before we all get sick in our hearts and get rid of that. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Ashland. Man, that place is nuts. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Neil Donald Walsh uh, comes from Ashland. He's one of the biggest uh, heretical gurus and new age thinkers. And he wrote a book, uh, many books called Conversations with God, where he was conversing with God and just having this one-on-one -on -one conversation with God himself. And I actually went to Neil Donald Walsh's house. And one time I was doing some yard work at a real estate, a guy who bought his house. And he said, all this crazy stuff. And there's people out there who are heretics. Listen, what they're going to do subtly is they're going to lead you away from God, his mission, and his people. 
They're gonna devalue the word of God. They're gonna deny the Christ. They're gonna distance the believer. They're gonna do all these things and devalue what Jesus Christ says plainly, and it happens in our day, it happens in our culture. We also have leaders, maybe that's not so crazy, you're like, dude, I'm not gonna go to Adidas Samurai's church, that's crazy, and, you know, but there's other things that permeate the church. A couple years ago, a guy wrote a book called uh, The Shack. And the Shack came out, and a lot of Christians read that book, and a lot of Christians were excited about that book, they bought that book. The Shack is heresy, total heresy. It totally reinvents Jesus and reinvents the Holy Spirit and reinvents the Trinity and does all kinds of crazy stuff. And the guy who wrote the shack, I'm not going to name his name. You can go look it up later, but he's not, not a Christian. Years before that, a guy wrote a book called New Kind of Christian, Brian McLaren. My wife and I bought the book. I remember we were reading. We were on chapter four. And as we were reading this book together, chapter four got so deviant, so weird. And that's when I realized, like, what? And I remember throwing the book across the room and we never finished it. Put that sucker in the trash. And Brian McLaren is a deviant heretic. Rob Bell, pastor of a church in Michigan, one of the biggest churches at the time, 25 years ago, came out with a video series called Numa. It was awesome. It was before social media, before YouTube, before all these video stuff, and he was the, the pioneer, and it was awesome until Rob Bell became deviant. He wrote a book called Love Wins. And when he wrote his book, Love Wins, he essentially was saying, everybody goes to heaven, nobody goes to hell because hell doesn't actually exist. Now, Jesus actually talked about hell and its existence more than he talked about heaven and its existence. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want you to go there. Jesus loves you. Jesus, people get mad that there's a hell, don't they? They get, well, I can't believe God would do that. I can't believe God made heaven. Are you for real? Have you been with yourself after hours? Like he wants you there? Like, dude, you don't get to come to, you know what I'm saying? I can't believe he made heaven. The fact he made hell, totally checks out. Totally checks out. I've seen your Facebook. I know what's going on. I know, I know the heart of man. The fact that God made a way to heaven, it's incredible. It's incredible. And until you come to that place in your own life, you're like, dude, it's me standing in the need of prayer. Lord, are you for real? You forgive me? Lord, you died on the cross at age 33. You who knew no sin became sin. Lord, you bore the penalty of my sin and not just mine, but the sins of the whole world. You did that? Lord. Lord, you're so good. We don't deserve that. It should be a works-based salvation. There should be something I have to do, but instead, all heretics and all other leaders will produce some sort of works-based devotion. That's why they call them devotees and make you do everything. And my friend Patrick and his wife eventually left Ashland and moved into some clear lake something and gave everything they had to this guy in order to hopefully make it into his regime. It's crazy. It's crazy. The list goes on and on. And I mentioned last week, how are we going to avoid getting picked off? Maybe you read The Shack. Maybe you were here and said, like, I kind of like The Shack. I got one in my bar, in your car, you know. And you got to know the issues. Open-handed, close-handed issues. And you got to feed on his word. And you'll know. <laughs> smells like a heretic. Smells like heresy. And you'll know because your knower will know. Second Timothy 3.16, I already read it to you. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul warned us in Acts chapter 20, he was with a group of elders, and he actually said, guys, in the future, there's gonna be savage wolves. They're gonna rise among you, desiring to take out the flock of God. He said, some are even gonna come from you. Some will come at you, some will come from you, and he warned them that there would be heretics, there would be attacks, there would be divergence. 
Jesus himself had a divergent heretic on his staff, his inner squad. It was his secretary, his bookkeeper. His name was Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was handpicked by Jesus, sat with Jesus, learned from Jesus, took notes from Jesus, served Jesus, and yet was an enemy of Jesus. Now, I'm saying all that in order that you wouldn't be picked off yourself and walk around thinking that every single thing on TBN, every single thing on Fox NBC, every single thing on CNN, every single thing on Nickelodeon or Nick at Night, every single thing on YouTube, every single thing on your Facebook page, you wouldn't be walking around thinking all that's okay. It's not all okay. There are divergent heretics and people trying to take you out. Peter goes on record and labels them in chapter 2, verses 1 through 22, and he lets us know there will be false prophets and false teachers among you. One idea, a false prophet is somebody who maybe puts out a big idea, a prophecy of sorts. This is okay. This is the way. This is how we're going. And then the false teachers would come along and undergird this new idea and defend it when it comes under attack. And there's all kinds of different ways that this happens, both spiritually and biblically within the church. But what about the secular stuff? What about the secular heresies? What about the, the, the carnal or the, the liberal ideas that are, again, doing the exact same thing? They're not in a church setting, not a nonprofit, but they're ideas, practices, and beliefs that lead people away from God away from his mission, and away from his people. Now, we're going to do a little audience participation. I may regret this and not do this at the 11. <laughs> but what, what, are some, what are some thoughts in today's culture that are heretical in contrast to the Bible? Some things that in the secular world, the world says, this is okay. But we know by what the Bible teaches, that will lead you away from God, away from his mission, and away from his people. What are some ideas out there? L-G-B-T-Q. I think there's like 34 more. That's a hot button issue, isn't it? See, the Bible says that sex is from God. And he gave it to us. It's a, it's a passion to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. It's a gift. And the devil and the world have hijacked that gift and perverted it and diverted it and reframed it in so many different ways. Whether it's homosexuality, whether it's transgenderism, whether it's all the other things that they're adding to it and confusing. The Bible says anything outside of a heterosexual marriage monogamous relationship, anything other than a heterosexual monogamous marriage relationship, okay, is an abomination. That's pretty intense. In our public school system, they would call it sex education. The Bible would call it fornication. See, in, in sex education, what they teach kids is how it works. They don't teach why. They don't teach what it's all about outside of physiological procreation. They teach safe sex and how to not get a disease and how to, they don't teach emotional, relational, or spiritual realities that come from what God designed in sex this gift to be shared in a marriage bed. And so there are heresies in the world where the world is saying, this is what we, this is what we, this is what we want to do. I heard, I heard abortion. Abortion, it's, it's a right. It's health care. The Bible says it's murder. It's pretty simple. The Bible doesn't err on these things. And yet we live in a culture today. Yesterday we had, or not yesterday, a couple days ago, my friend, my kids were, uh, playing with some of their friends, and 
I was within earshot, and they were talking about the age of the earth. And not all these kids are biblically knowledgeable like my kids, and so I was waiting to see if there became a fight. <laughs> and, and it's with great, and it's grace, great, great grace. And I began listening to, to Nemo and, and some of his friends talk about the age of the earth. And, and, I, and I just told Nemo later, I was like, look, the Bible actually doesn't say how old the earth is. It doesn't say. It says God created it in six days, and he rested on the seventh day. You can take general history, and, and you can date the historical creation story to anywhere from six to 10,000 years old. We call it a young earth theory. It's what I would call an open-handed issue, where if you d- think differently than me and you think the earth is billions of years old because it came from the Big Bang, which is a theory that has been produced to eliminate God, and did God, when he, could we call creation a Big Bang? Do you guys want to do that when God did it? Was it a Big Bang? Like, okay, if that's what you want to do, I'm into that too. And you know, and how is there a billion years with this dating? Hey, I'm into that too. When God created Adam, he wasn't a little baby, okay? He was a 30-year-old man, in my opinion. So when he created the earth and all the things in it, it was a billion years old. Not a problem with me. And I don't need to fight or argue with people. And so there's going to be people out there that are fed different ideas. And you and I need, as Christians, to have grace and love and mercy. Can you imagine, and Jesus is our model, by the way. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ came to planet Earth and really started flexing on people? I mean, just really. Let's just say Jesus Christ said, okay, I'm going I'm to flex my knowledge of how things are for you. Like, it would be that scene from Indiana Jones when they opened up the grail and their faces melted. Remember that? It was like, ah! You know, the, the Ark of the Covenant? <laughs> Jesus is so kind, man. He called, he's just so gracious. And I want you guys who are here listening with me to have this kind of blend of grace and truth. Truth. All truth? Man, that's too rough. It's too intense. All grace? That's not kind. You're not doing me any favors. Grace and truth? Thank you. Thank you. That's how you raise your kids, isn't it? You love them. You love them. Even though they're idiots, you love them. I'm just kidding. But they're born naked. They don't know nothing. They need everything. That's, I'll tell you what, God wants us to be those who are wise as serpents and gentle as doves. This is your job as a Christian. This is your job. Grow in doctrine. Grow in instruction. Be corrected. One of the greatest, greatest joys of teaching the Bible is I get to study it more than you guys, at least in theory, and it gets to, stu- it gets to I get changed. Okay, I don't stand up here and tell you guys what I think and what I know and all the, I get so blessed in the process of studying God's word, I get corrected, I get instructed, I get inspired, I learn things. And as we do, we become then valuable to the people around us. Unfortunately, right now, our world is not teaching biblical values or biblical doctrine, okay, at all. Our world is teaching self-indulgence. Get more. Is there any way we can get more? Is there any way we can legalize that? Is there any way we can mandate that? Is there any way we can fund that? Can we get the government to support that? Is there any way we can get self-indulgence where the Bible teaches self-control? The Bible teaches that we should deny our flesh. The world says, feed your flesh, get more flesh, go get extra flesh. The world out there is teaching right now, just go ahead and look at it. The world out there is teaching there is no God where God says, no, there is a God and you're not him. Okay, that's the main lesson. And there is a countercultural war going on. How are we going to win the war? How are we going to fight the battle? Bring your Bible to the battle. Be a person of the word. Grace and truth. The world's going to continue to get darker. It's going to continue to give hall passes and clauses and freedoms to things that the Bible says, those aren't okay. 
Every single state has laws for drunkenness, where you can get drunk and how drunk you can get and what to do when you're super drunk. The Bible says don't be drunk. Every law, every state has laws about how to be divorced and how to get a divorce and how to get a prenuptial and how to do these things and how to settle this state. The Bible says, hey, don't get divorced. There are states that legalize prostitution and legalize it, mandate it, and tax it. And the Bible says, no, don't do, don't, 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 don't do that. There's violence. There's all kinds of things that the world around us all over says, yeah, we can do that here. And the Bible simply says, that's going to hurt you. That's going to kill you. That's going to rob from you. It's going to leave you stained and drained and pained. So what's God's plan? Aren't you glad that you're not God? Isn't that so fun? You can leave this service with a big smile on your face, go right to whatever coffee house you want to, whatever breakfast place, you can smile and love on those people and love them in Jesus' name. It's not your problem. God's got it figured out. Aren't you glad you're not God? Man, so good. If you're trying to be God, stop it. Right? It's called the savior complex where you just man, it's up to me, you know, and me and the Trinity, we're going to figure it out. No, dude. What's the plan? Well, Peter tells us in verse 3. It says, by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. What's God going to do? He's going to judge them. This is good news. Peter's now going to go in the rest of the chapter. I'm going to read the, all, all the entirety of the chapter. We're going to get through it right now in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> Maybe to verse 11. But I'm so glad God said, I got a plan. And in order that we would know God has a plan for the future, Peter brings to our attention three, we'll call it four, case studies where God says, remember how, where Peter says, remember how God judged the angels? Remember how God judged Noah and the, the ancient world? Remember how God judged Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember how God took, took care of Balaam? Remember how God took care of it? And that's great news for you and me who are here stuck in this world right now waiting for Jesus to return. What do we do with all that craziness? What do we do with all the corruption and all the injustice and all this? It's not going to get any better. It's going to get darker. What do we do? God's got it covered. He's asked for you and me to be light, to be love, to be salt, to be servants, to be humble, to be meek, to be mild. The Lord whose eyes are full of flames of fire, he'll take care of it. Don't get the savior complex. Enjoy who God is and what God has committed to doing. Peter says their destruction does not slumber. And he gives to us, like I said, three case studies. The Old Testament is given to us for illumination and instruction. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 through 12 tells you and me that the things that happened in the Old Testament were for our examples that we might learn, that we might know. That's how God did it then. That's how God's going to do it in the future. And so now when Peter reaches way back and tells us what God did to those cultures and how he judged them, he will judge those who need judging in the future. And I'm glad that Jesus has taken that into his own account and into his own authority because he only knows all things. When you try and judge somebody, you don't have all the story. You don't know all the pieces. You don't have the authority. You don't have the integrity. We can't judge people in what they're doing, what they think, or where they're going. We don't know everything. However, people will quote from time to time, judge not lest you be judged. Yeah, you know. That doesn't mean they're not going to be judged. They don't need to be judged by you. Jesus said, if you cause one little one to stumble, better for you to be dead. Jesus said in James 3, don't all of you seek to be teachers of the law because you're going to be judged heavier, you who seek to be in that position of authority. Jesus takes 
his kids very seriously. So seriously does Jesus take his kids and their welfare that he was willing to die in their place. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so even as we study these things and we see this harsh language from Peter, I'm glad Peter wrote this to you because this is not my style of sermon to preach. And yet Peter says, tend the sheep, protect the sheep. Let's, let's, let's look at these examples, guys. Verse four. He says, number one, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains and darkness to be reserved for judgment. And then he goes on to say, and he didn't spare the ancient world to save. No, he goes into the next case study. But the first case study he brings to our attention is the ancient angels. The, this is before our time, before history of humanity began. This is something we don't have a lot of details on. As a matter of fact, the scriptures don't have a lot of light about the angelic rebellion and God's judgment. Ezekiel chapter 14, no, no, Ezekiel chapter 28, Isaiah chapter 14, detail a little bit about Lucifer's fall. You guys know Lucifer is one of the seven archangels of God, and his main job description was to be the worship leader of God. And yet in his leading of worship to God before humanity existed, something got perverse in his mind. He's like, you know what? I kind of want to be God too. It's like not that big of a deal. And I wonder if I can get a little bit of this worship for myself. And God saw the intent of his heart and cast him and one third of the angels out of heaven. That's the details we have. Genesis chapter six also says in Genesis six, way, way back, that some of the sons of God had relationships with the daughters of men. Some people believe that was the angels that had been cast out of heaven, then had relationship with the daughters of men and had relate, and that's where the giants came from. Some people believe that. I don't, that's kind of what it says. I'm not sure. If you piece that together with Jude uh, chapter one, there's only one chapter of Jude. If you piece that together with Jude, Jude says that the angels of old left their proper domain and committed acts of sinfulness and God judged them. Now, Again, we don't have a lot of details. We're not going to build a lot of theology. This is what I would call an open-handed issue. But the bottom line is this. The angels that God created for works and purposes of his own, they wanted two things. They wanted more than what God had given to them, and they wanted freedom to do things their way. And you know what it got them? Four things. Chains, darkness, judgment, and hell. That's his first case text. Hey, God judged the angels. We weren't even there. Isn't that crazy? You, it's so fun to let God be God and you just be a human, just be a son or a daughter. Like, wow, man, that's crazy. That's crazy. So what did God do? He judged them because they wanted more and they wanted different. Sounds like you and me, doesn't it? Anytime you, here's the takeaway. Anytime you want more than what God has already given to you or want different than God has said is right for you, you're gonna get those same four things. Judgment, chains, darkness, hellish environment. Any Christians that experienced this before? Where you try and live your life outside of what God said is your jurisdiction? <sighs> Feeding our flesh is never what we want. Maybe that's what somebody needs to hear today. Maybe that's what your, your battle of the mind. Your flesh will never be satisfied, no matter how much you put into it. The Bible says hell and destruction and the eyes of man are never satisfied. Interesting. No matter how much you feed your flesh, you're not gonna get what you're looking for. But if you feed your spirit, if you feed your spirit, deny your flesh, feed your spirit, you will find yourself satisfied 
in his presence. The angels, they blew it. We blow it. God took care of them. He goes on, next case study, verse five. And he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. About a thousand years after Adam on earth was Noah. Noah was born at a time of great darkness. His dad was Lamech. Lamech's great, 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 granddad was Adam. So imagine that Adam was alive, Lamech was alive, and 56 years later, Noah was born. And so just in case you're wondering about that timeline as far as genealogy and the creation story and account, it was always preserved between every generation moving forward. And Noah was born. The Bible actually says in Genesis chapter six that when Noah was born, he would be a gift to humanity and he would bring rest and comfort to the people because they needed it. His name means rest. My oldest son's name is Noah. And he has not given us rest yet. Just kidding. That's just was funny. He, he's a blessing, blessing to everyone who knows him. And Noah was a gift from God at that time. And God says, here and Peter brings this story, but says, God judged the people in Noah's day. Now, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He preached in those days to people. And you know what's crazy about God and his judgment? Is again, I mentioned this earlier, is that, that God chooses to save it all. Some people look at the flood and they're just freaking out. Are you kidding me? God floods everybody? So a thousand years after creation began, Adam all the way to Lamech, there are hundreds of thousands and hundreds and thousands and maybe millions of people on planet earth. And God says, yeah, I'm gonna save eight of them. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, and that's it. Everybody else is gonna die. What? Who gives you the right to do that, you know? Now here's your God in heaven. You create the angels first. They rebel and you send the angels down. They become demons. Then you create humanity and humanity joins the demons and start doing demon stuff. And you're like, what? That's when you call the pest control and nuke everything. You know what I'm saying? God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. Genesis chapter three, God starts making promises. He says, I'm going to send my son. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to save humanity. The fact that God saves it all, that's the crazy part. God saved Noah, but he judged the people. Jesus actually quoted uh, and referenced Noah in those days. If you're wondering if this is a real story, worldwide flood. Most historical peoples have a, a narrative, a story of a worldwide flood. Jesus said it happened. And he actually said that when he returns the second time, it'll be as in the days of Noah. And in the days of Noah, the people that ran the world only ever, that's what it says in Genesis chapter six, they only ever always wanted to commit evil continually. And it broke God's heart. And so God did something about it. The Bible predicts that when this world gets too bad and too ugly and too gross, and there's too many people getting hurt, God will stop it. It'll be the return of Christ, as in the days of Noah. And as you look around, people are, it's the same. It's the same. Well, he goes on and he gives us another story, verse, verse uh, six. And, not just that, but he turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And he delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling with them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. The next case study we have is Sodom and Gomorrah, which in the Hebrew is Vegas and Hollywood. It's actually just a complete actual translation. It's just... 
When you read it there, it's the same thing. And these two cities existed only for commerce and sexuality and perversion. That's all they do is affluence, flesh. That's what these two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, were there for, self-indulgence, following the flesh, denying that there was a God, and a man named Lot began to live there. Now, if you guys don't know the story of Lot, Lot was Abraham's nephew. Abraham had a brother who had a son who went with him when God called Abraham. He took Lot with him, and as they were traveling, their herds and their sheep began to grow so much that Lot and Abraham had to separate geographically, and he said, you go over here, I'll go over here. And here's what Lot did. Lot said, I'll go over here. It looks pretty good. And the Bible says in chapter 13 of Genesis that he pitched his tent overlooking Sodom. He's like, whoa, look at that. Looks like a party. I'm just going to stay right here and watch from a distance. Chapter 14, it says that Lot actually moved into town, evidently commuting into town, taking his kids to soccer practice was getting too intense and wanted to be closer to the gym. And so he told his kids, grab your Bibles, kids. We're going into Sodom. What could go wrong? And they began to live in the wrong part of town. Chapter 19 actually says he doesn't go from just looking at Sodom, but living in Sodom. Chapter 19 says he's on city council. He's sitting in the gate, which means he's in charge. And this progression of Lot into Sodom It's something we can learn from. A whole Bible study could be put together. Psalm chapter one says, don't walk in the path of the ungodly, nor stand with sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Okay, so just don't do those things. It's a walking, then then you stop, then you sit, and you die in sinful ways. Lot here said, I'm not going to be that, I'm not going to be that involved. I'm just going to be close, just going to be looking from a distance. And then he kind of moved in for convenience sake. It made sense. Actually, that was the reason why Lot chose that area. Economically, it made sense. It's a good investment. It's got good watering holes and all these things, but he didn't look to see what God would have for him. And sometimes when we make our decisions, we make them horizontally. What's well, a good move for the family? It's a good move for this. Is it a good move for God? James would tell you and I, don't move here. Don't go there. Don't sell this. Don't buy that. Ask God what he wants you to do. And do what God says. Well, you guys maybe know the story. The perversion in Sodom and Gomorrah was so great that it came to the ears of God. And God said, I'm going to destroy that city. Yet before he destroyed the city, God being gracious told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to destroy the city. I thought you wanted to know because you're going to tell your kids. Abraham then went and sent a message to Lot by those two angels. And the story goes this way. The two angels come into Lot's house and they say, hey, we're going to destroy the city. You got to get you and your family out of here. Knock, knock, knock on the door. They open the door, and it's all of the evil men of the city. The evil men of the city say, hey, we just saw two angelic guys go into your house. We want you to send them out to us so we can rape them. That's how bad it was. Lot said, plug your ears, kids. Lot says, I'm not going to send those angels out to you. You can have my daughters. The angels say, we're not having any of that. These guys begin to grab Lot and pull him out forcibly. The angels go in all Judah style and Kung Fu style, and they fight him back. They blind these evil guys, pull Lot in, and save him barely. And then they begin to warn him. And they say, Lot, do you have any kids? Do you have any sons-in-laws? Go warn him. So Lot goes and tells his sons-in-laws that to marry his daughters. He said, hey, guys, uh, they're going to destroy the city. We've got to get out of here. The Bible says that his sons-in-law looked at him as if he was joking. No spiritual authority. Everything in Lot's life had fallen apart. And the Bible says that eventually the angels continued to shake him and yell at him as he tarried there, and the city was about to be destroyed, and he barely got out. And you guys know it says there in Genesis chapter 19 that when they escaped, his wife looked back, and she was turned into a pillar of? Now check this out. Tomorrow in Luke 19 or 18, whatever you guys are reading tomorrow, 
that one of the shortest verses in the Bible is Luke 17, 32. And Jesus says this, remember Lot's wife. It's a good memory verse. You should probably have that on your license plate, you know. Luke 17, 32. What was that? <laughs> remember Lot's wife. Isn't that crazy? Jesus said to that generation, hey, guys, remember Lot's wife. What did she do? She was delivered and looked back. And the principle is this. When God delivers you, when God sets you free, when God instructs you, when God loves you in that way, don't fight him. Don't look back. Don't look back. It'll kill you. It'll paralyze you. And he tells us that Lot lived in this area. Guys, by the way, just a little sub-note. Look, did you see how Peter framed Lot? I'm going to read it again. Verse 7. And he delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing your lawless deeds. Can you imagine if somebody called you righteous three times in two sentences? I would just be, that's enough, okay? I'm really not that good of a guy, you know, trust me. You know, did you hear the story I just told you? And yet here's the crazy thing. The New Testament, when it records the Old Testament heroes, it doesn't show their sin. It's pretty intense. David is known as a man after God's own heart. Now, David was a horrible guy. And yet God covers our sins. Your sins will find you out. Your sins will cost you. Your sins are damaging and, and harmful. However, God's grace, God's love covers a multitude of sins. Interesting, it says Lot was in this environment and his, his righteous soul was vexed daily. Apparently, Lot, Lot, knowing that the city he lived in was so bad, he was squirming, he was praying, he was calling out, and God saved him as well. I don't know how you guys feel living in America, living in 2021. Maybe you're actually looking at yourself and you're not very righteous, but if you're a little better than Lot, you're doing okay. Maybe the bar was set pretty low back then. I'm not sure what was going on. Look at verse 9. This is good news. I've got it highlighted and underlined. These proof texts, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Aren't you guys know that God knows how to do this? I don't know about you, but like sometimes I get stressed out about my life because there's a lot going on. It's like real serious stuff, like real important. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wait a minute. What the heck? I'm just a... God knows what's going on. God, and I can submit to that and I can rest in that. God knows how to reserve the righteous, and protect them. He also knows how to reserve the unjust and to punish them. I don't know how to do that stuff. God does. It goes on to say, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and they despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might, they do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Stop right there, eyes up here. Peter's now saying that there are people, men, women, who do not even have the humility to understand their place in creation and the timeline and the organizational chart. They speak evil of dignitaries or leaders in, in high places. He says, even the angels don't talk trash about other angels, but humans down here, these heretics and people, secular or liberal or biblical or spiritual, they're making stuff up. He says, that's crazy. And God's going to judge them too. Verse 12. But these like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, they speak evil of the things they do not understand and they will utterly perish from their own corruption. 
And they will receive the wages of unrighteousness. You reap what you sow. As those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime, their spots, blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and they cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Stop right there. You're going to have to read this slower on your own. Man, it's like everything, everything Peter's saying here is not going to make it in a Hallmark card. It's just not going to make it. You know, like Hallmark's looking for stuff like Second Peter 2, nope, nothing there. Keep going, you know. Nope, not a Halloween card. Nope, still doesn't make it. He says that their hearts are trained in covetousness. The idea there is like an athlete. An athlete trains himself to, to be the best at what he does or, or what she does. You're, you're the best. And your response time is, is perfect because you're the best. And what he's saying about heretics and, and false teachers and false prophets is that they're trained in corrupt activities. And as I was just meditating on that last night, I was like, what, are, what areas am I trained in that I need to repent of? What areas do I instantaneously do something silly or foolish? You see something, you think this thought. You hear something, you say that word. Sin calls, you answer, because we're trained in that way. You can change your mind, and God can and will change your heart. You can train yourself to look differently at the things that God says to look differently at, to be a different person, to study to show yourself approved, a workman unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth, needing not to be ashamed. I want to encourage you in a world that needs examples, that needs men and women that are trained, not in covetousness and wackiness. He goes on saying that their eyes are full of adultery. Verse 15, they've forsaken the right way. They've gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. And he goes on to say, these are wells without water, clouds carried by the tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Stop right there, eyes up here. The fourth case study just quickly is Balaam and his talking donkey. You guys know Balaam is talking, talking Numbers chapter 22. God was there with Balaam, and Balaam was a protector of Israel. Balak the king wanted to curse Israel, so Balak hired Balaam to curse the children of Israel. Balaam said, no, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. Balak came back and said, well, how much? What if I give you some money? He's like, no, I ain't doing it. But if you give me a lot of money, I might do it. And he came back the third time, true story, and he said, okay, I, here's a lot of money. Will you do it? And so Balaam, his error, his doctrinal error was, if I can just get some money, I'll do whatever I need to do. Now, you guys know the story. As he was on his way to curse the children of Israel, his donkey began to tell him, this is a bad idea. His donkey saw an angel with a flame of fire in the path, and his donkey began to crush his foot, and his donkey began to say, hey, we should not do this. And Balaam actually fought with his donkey and started hitting his donkey. And then his donkey's like, why are you hitting me? I've always been a good donkey. I'm your best donkey you've ever had. I'm not making it up. Numbers 22 is one of the greatest stories ever. The greatest part is that Balaam just keeps having this conversation with his donkey. Like, keep going. I don't care if you're talking to me. I'm going to smack you in the head, you know. And his error was that he was going to do evil for the price and the reward offered to him. And God, you guys know the story, by the way. Here's what happened. Balaam actually gets there and the children of Israel down below and he's gonna pronounce a curse on them. And he's got the money in his pocket and Balak is an evil guy and, he's gonna, and he begins to then pray. And you guys know what comes out of Balaam's mouth? Blessings. 
He's like, all right, I'm going to curse him. Ready? Here we go. You sons of God, be blessed in all that you do and prosper. And, he, he started, and Balaam's like, shut up, dude. What are you doing? Why are you blessed? He's like, I don't know. It just came out. You know, we got talking donkeys and talking prophets. And... Now, some of you guys are listening to this. You're like, that's why I don't believe the Bible. <laughs> if God can't make a donkey talk, you know, if God can't control your lips, then he's not God. These stories to me are so fun. They're like easy. It's the easiest thing in the world. It, just makes, it makes me actually relate to God better because our, our, you know, creativity. And as, as a matter of fact, they are doing archaeological digs, and recently they found some hieroglyphic uh, kind of imagery that depicts this actual story. They got it right here. This is the evidence that we're looking for. <laughs> it's right there. Talking donkeys. Oh, man. Should I do that at the 11 or no? Is that good? Shoot. Keep, keep reading with me. Verse 18. We're going to finish the chapter, guys. It's Banner Day at South Beach Church. Banner Day. Peter goes on. He says, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a per person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. By the way, your liberty, your liberty, okay, is going to be, in my opinion, one of the indicators that you're walking with Jesus Christ. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Abide in my word, and my word will abide in you. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John chapter 8. In cults, and in heresies, and in... in liberal theologies and understandings and heretical activities, there's only bondage and slavery. You're bound to these things. Your flesh will not set you free. Your flesh will grind you and take you down. Only Jesus can promise freedom. Verse 20, for if after they have escaped their pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord, Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter is worse for them than the beginning, for it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Peter is very serious here. He says these heretics, these heresies, these false prophets, false doctrines, they're wrecking people's lives. And people who get out a little are sucked back into these ideas and it would have been better for them not even to have known where they were going in the first place. Verse 22, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Peter doesn't end this chapter on a high note, does he? See, we always want sermons that end well, and we're going to go out to the war now. And there are men and women who are captive. If you actually went outside right now to Fred Myers or J.C. Market or Georgie's or Newport Steakhouse, if, wherever you're going, and you looked at everyone who was a non-believer, because they had believed a heresy, whether a liberal heresy, there's no God. It's all evolution. There, there's no afterlife. Heresy. Or, or Adidas Amara is a God. I know he's born in Queens, but give him some time. <laughs> whatever your heresy is, whatever your deal. And if you looked at everybody, including yourself, as people who were in bondage and in shackles headed to hell, 
Wouldn't that motivate you to be humble, to be loving, to be, to be a servant? As a matter of fact, verse one of chapter three. Do we have time for chapter three? That's a joke. <laughs> Peter says, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Peter says, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get you guys in the game, I'm trying to get you guys engaged. And maybe you've fallen into some heresy. Maybe you've believed some stuff that's taking you off course. Maybe you're not, not free right now. And the Lord said, we can take care of that. I can cut you free just right now. Let go of that stuff of the world. Let go of that stuff of the flesh. Let go of that stuff. Look for heaven. Oh, I would never fall into weirdness and carnality and temptation. The angels did. The first son and daughter did. The early generations did. Balaam did. Lot did. These are warnings for us so we don't walk around being picked off. Let's take our Bibles to the battle. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you. We ask God now for your mercy and grace upon our lives. May we not go out, Lord, with our swords brandished, cutting people up, but instead may we go out, Lord, with the anointing oil of your love. May we go out, Lord, with the confidence of being free. May we be so free. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, now thanks be to God who always leads us in the victory and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. May this church, may your church be a church of fragrant believers, those who know you and are set free. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. I pray you would alert us to those heresies and false teachings. And when we hear a talking head say, this is what's going on, this is what we're doing now, this is true. Or when we hear the university professor say, this is it, we would sit back and say, yeah, that's, that's not true. That's not true. Give us that wisdom and discernment. We trust you. Bless us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.